Now, it was probably about a month ago. Um, I, I was doing what I sometimes have to do on a Sunday afternoon, um, which is run up and down the line for my son's football team. Um, and we were playing... A, well, Kenilworth Wards were playing a wet Wellsbourne. Um, and there was a particular image of... And I'm not sure whether it was, in fact, the colours of the home team or the fact they were doing a tribute to the Ukraine, but that flag in the bottom left-hand corner was the colours of the Ukraine. And just it, it was a, at that moment, a single-engine aircraft just flew over the football pitch. And it brought back a memory for me that had been triggered from talking to my grandfather, who had been stationed at Wellsbourne Airfield in World War II. And uh, he used to talk to me about what it was like to live in a country that was at war. And for me, as a, as, a, as a boy, I couldn't really comprehend it. The idea that we would be at war as a country was something that seemed a long way away. Um, but I was always intrigued by the story. And some years, many years later, about, uh, probably about six, seven years ago, um, I went to the National Archives uh, in London with my mother um, because I, we wanted to find uh, the war diary of the unit in Wellsbourne to see if there was mention of my grandfather. I knew he'd been there um, the whole time. And, and I was reading through the war diaries, and I realised very soon that if you look at war diaries, you only tend to get mentioned in them if you do something notable. And my grandfather was clearly an unremarkable individual because he didn't get noted there at all. But then there was suddenly an entry there on one day, on a Tuesday it was, in 1942. And it said, W. Benson Dalton turned up to take up meteorological duties. And it suddenly thought, W. Benson Dalton, it's a very distinctive name, that was Anna's grandfather. And to my amazement, I was sitting there in the middle of the National Archives and I realised that our grandfathers had worked together on the same base in World War II. No connection between the families at all. Quite amazing. So Anna's grandfather, top right, my bottom right, they'd worked together and probably known each other. And that was an amazing thing. But, um, so why do I tell this all? Why is it relevant to today? Well, I sometimes think, for me, it brought home the reality of the fact that there was a war in this land. And we look at the images in Ukraine today, we see the war going on, it's difficult to imagine it. But actually, it brought home the reality of that situation. And sometimes, when you look at something as amazing and horrific as the story of the cross, it's almost tempting to think, I just can't imagine how this has ever happened. It just seems so cosmic, so unworldly, so lacking in anything we can hang on to, because it's an incredible thing. And actually, looking at the story through a different lens sometimes can actually help our understanding of it, which is why we're going to be looking at Genesis 22 today. Because the central word of today is one of sacrifice. And my question, and a challenge, in fact, to all of us, is do we understand the sacrifice that Jesus made for each one of us and ultimately for everyone who calls on his name. But let's go back to Genesis. Genesis 22. A little bit of background to it um, before we get to Genesis 22. Um, Abraham, of course, father of the Jewish nation. Genesis 12. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, for those those of you who've studied the story in Genesis, I'm sure many have, you'll know that the passage from this point onwards is not plain sailing for Abraham. There's many ups and downs, 
Um, and in fact, it, it almost, it's like a roller coaster, Genesis 12 to 22. Um, but constantly the refrain comes back of God reiterating his promises to Abraham. Do not be afraid, Abraham, in, in chapter 15. I am your shield, your very great reward. And then, and then again in chapter 17, the prophecy. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abraham. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and your kings will come from you. And then there's a prophecy about Isaac, the son that ultimately is to be given to Abraham and to Sarah. Your, your wife Sarah will bear you a son and I will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. So many events happen. So much testing of Abraham's resolve. And he gets called Abraham. So we come to to, to chapter 22. And it makes the next command of God all the more bewildering. Starts verse 22. And it's on page 22 in the church Bibles if you've got them. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain, and I will show you. This is incredible. This is absolutely incredible. And we're going to go through the story today, and we're going to see actually what it teaches, what we can learn from Abraham what we can learn from Isaac, but crucially, what we can learn about God and what we can learn truly about the message of today, which is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So we have the scene there. Abraham is now an ancient man. He's probably well into his 80s. Some even rumour he may well be over 100. He's pretty old to be having his first, well, it's actually in his case, it's his second son. And Isaac's a healthy young man in his 20s. I mean, it, you, Max over there, imagine Max, you know, it, it, that's the sort of age that, um, that Isaac would have been. Um, and, and Eric, with all Eric's strength, probably, if Max is determined enough, probably could overpower Eric, I suspect. Um, but imagine Eric at the age of about 90. I think probably I would back Max in, in a fight there if that was to happen. God decides to test Abraham by saying to him, Take your son, your only son, and sacrifice him. This is the son that Abraham has waited all of his life for. Why on earth would God ask him to do such a thing? But Abraham is obedient. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. I mean, notice how obedient Abraham is here. There's no suggestion of him challenging God. Instead, he loads up for the journey, which is a long one. Plenty of time actually for him to contemplate and change his mind about what he's going to do. But no. And he carries the burden by himself. Only he knows the task in hand that faces him. Imagine yourself in Abraham's situation. You're carrying this terrible, terrible secret, this task that you've been asked. And you you can share it with nobody at all. It's clear from, from the passage that he didn't share it with Isaac, and he certainly didn't share it with the servants he was with. 
And we're talking today about the, about the account of the crucifixion. We had it read in, in, in John 19. Jesus was carrying a burden that he had shared with one or two. But only he truly know, knew the suffering that he would have to endure. Only he could carry that by himself. An incredible burden that Jesus was carrying. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac, carried the fire and the knife, and the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And I I think this is actually, in some ways, the most disturbing moment of the story so far. Because Abraham knows full well what he's going to do. The fire, the wood, and the murder weapon are clearly in view. His son assumes he's going to be sacrificing a lamb and asks Abraham. And Abraham resists telling him where the lamb is. But rather he trusts that God is going to provide the sacrificial lamb. And Isaac doesn't question or disbelieve his father. He trusts him completely. Carry on, verse 9. When they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Now it's difficult to imagine that this would have been a quiet scene. At that point in time, I think when Isaac realised it was not going to be a lamb that was to be sacrificed, but it was to be him, I struggle to imagine that he would have gone quietly. We're not actually told what happens, but we do know that he allowed himself to be bound by Abraham. Again, picture Max and a 90-year-old Eric. You know, would would Max go quietly in that situation? I'm not entirely sure about that. But, but, but the fact he allowed himself to be bound and put on the wood. But, the, but, but wonderfully, wonderfully, the angel of the Lord comes and, and, and Abraham sacrifices a ram instead of his son. In direct reference to what he previously said to Isaac, he calls the place the Lord will provide. And God did indeed provide a substitute. And there's great significance in verse 12. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And then the the passage comes in verse 15. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And then we go on to see in the remainder of the uh, uh, chapter 22, how the blessing starts to pour out, how the descendants start to appear. 
God reiterates his covenant with Abraham. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. In the, in the remainder of the chapter, we, we, we see how this comes about. So what can we take from this passage today? I mean, firstly, what, what do we learn from Abraham? Well, I think the beauty of Abraham is he's like many of the characters that God uses in the Bible. He's a pretty unremarkable individual. And God delights in using unremarkable people. But, but what, why would God ask Abraham to do something that really goes against a previous prophecy that has been given? Now, of course, being asked for a sacrifice, even, dare say, a human sacrifice, is something that would probably be less abhorrent to Abraham than it would be to us. But it's the fact that it's his son, the one that he's promised. Why would he do this? Abraham's attitude is remarkable. He shows complete trust and confidence in God, even though it makes no sense. If you think of the of your sort of classic movie and TV heroes, uh, think of my favourites. Uh, you know, think of James Bond. You think of Jason Bourne in, in the Bourne trilogy, or even Jack Bauer in Twenty Four. Um, great characters who are putting tremendous pressure situations. The interesting thing about all of them is they tend to have confidence in themselves and their ability to sort out a situation. The difference between them and the hero in this story, Abraham, is the fact that Abraham has total trust in God. He does not trust in himself. He trusts in God. Look in verse 5. He says to the servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will then worship and we will come back to you. He's confident that God will somehow provide. In verse 8, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. And he follows God's command. He walks for those three days with his terrible secret. And I think that the, the challenge to all of us is even though we don't fully always understand God's purposes... Do we have this confidence in God to trust his promises? I mentioned it at the start, but I think all of us have been really struck. I've been particularly struck by just the the, the resolution of some of those soldiers who are defending Ukraine. I mean, the, the notion of being asked to go out and give your life for your country is one that I think many of us would really struggle with these days. And And yet... Seeing that willingness to be sacrificed, seeing that to allow sacrifice, I think is all the more remarkable. What did we learn from Isaac? Um, We've been watching um, recently on Netflix the uh, series Ozark. I don't know if any of you have seen it. Um, I'm looking at a fairly blank expression, so I'll explain the basic premise of it so you can understand um, the point that's being made. Um, To be honest, you can pretty much get the entire basis of the series in the very first pilot episode, where the central character who's there, a guy called Marty Bird, he's, he, he works in Chicago and is an accomplished money launderer for a Mexican drugs cartel, just everyday story, um, and he comes face to face with a terrible decision, because the, the Mexican drug gang think that people have been stealing from them, and they then proceed to execute a number of the, the people, and he, his life is spared in exchange for him going to rural Missouri to set up businesses to launder their money. And then, essentially, the whole series unfolds with the adventures that happen to them. Now, what is remarkable about this particular thing, apart from the fact that the script writing, as ever, is brilliant and the characters are brilliant, is that he, had, he takes with him two teenage children. And they, this family is put under incredible pressure 
um, during, during, during the, the, this series. And it's the, the trust that his children show in him to go with him is, is actually particularly remarkable. And that is the thing with Isaac that is so remarkable here. Why does he show such trust in his father? Why does he willingly go with him? And I think it's a testament to how Abraham has, has been as a father to Isaac. Because he has seen Abraham being tested consistently by God. And he has seen the trust and the faith that Abraham has in God. And I think it's a challenge to me as a parent often to think about this. Because I think we spend a lot of time, in fact I was talking to somebody the other day, we spend an awful lot of time agonising about how we bring up, can bring up children the best because there is no manual on how to do it. And I think it's even harder to be good Christian parents as well. I mean, there's, there's no curriculum we can follow that will prove that your children will pop out as nice Christian believers at the end of it. It just doesn't exist. But I think the example of Abraham here is that he shows his child his own faith in God. He shows how deep and authentic that is. And I think that is an incredibly powerful thing. And, and, and it's in, I guess it's an example to us as parents to say that if we show our own children how authentic and deep our own faith is, that is a really powerful thing. But let's move on to the real meat of this. What do we learn about God? Because there are some Christians of a, one would say, of a more liberal persuasion who would see the story of the cross, the idea that somehow Jesus had to die on the cross, as we've read this morning in John 19, to satisfy God's wrath as being a total anathema to a loving God. In fact, someone once even called it cosmic child abuse. The fact that you would do this to your own son. And there are distinct parallels between this story and the cross that we'll go on to look at in a moment. God only tests people who have the faith to withstand their testing, as is shown in the story of Job. He doesn't test people with more than they can bear. Abraham's a man of profound faith and testing more than most of us can imagine. But you see, the testing that God is doing here is quite simple. It's to establish what the motivating factor is in Abraham's relationship with God. Is it God himself who Abraham has his trust in? Or is it the benefits that God provides and the hope that he offers? And you can see this clearly in verse 12 of chapter 22. When the angel says, now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. God is interested in whether Abraham is prepared to put his most valuable possession on the line for God. You'll be familiar with the story of the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus in Luke 18. And who says, what what can I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus instructs him to, to sell all his possessions and follow him, and he can't do it. And that, and that is the test. Um, I've had a, um, one or two really good conversations over the last year with people, including somebody who came to this church actually one week, um, who, who was saying that they, they, they had been a believer, but they, they no longer wanted to believe anymore. 
And we dug into why that was. And it came down to really one thing. And this is a refrain that I've heard from other people who've expressed an interest in following Jesus. But there's just one thing that will stop them from doing it. And that's giving up control. They want to hang on to the control of their life. And, that, and, and, they, and they refuse to give that thing up. And I, I would turn the challenge on to us. If there was no heaven at the end of this life, if we were told actually it was just a relationship with God whilst we were alive, would we still follow God now? Is our trust in God or is our trust in the blessings that come? John Lennon famously sung in Imagine. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Would we give God a chance in our lives if there was nothing in it for us? That is the challenge. But crucially and finally, with a focus on the cross, what do we learn from this passage about Jesus Christ? Because if you look at the story of the cross, a man who is fully man and fully God goes willingly to face a horrible death on the cross in order that God's wrath against mankind be fully satisfied. Now, I've met people who refuse to believe that Jesus Christ existed. And I suspect because they just can't get their heads around the story of the cross. It's like when we see those images of war on the television. It's hard to believe these things are actually happening today. Yet when I think of my own grandfather fighting in the, in, the, in the world war, it's real because I've met him. And he's told me firsthand of what happened. And it becomes like a credible event. And we look at this story of Abraham, and I think many of us can imagine being in the position of Abraham. We struggle to have the faith of Abraham, but I think we can imagine being in that position. And he had a terrible choice. If he ignored God and spared his son, he would have ended up disobeying God. There would have been consequences to his inaction. And if we think about the cross, if we think that God the Father had done nothing and allowed mankind to perish for their sin, and Jesus had not gone to the cross, there would have been no perfect sacrifice to atone for his righteous judgment. As human beings, we would have faced the full force of his judgment for sin, and no one would have been spared. But what does God do? No, he decides that the only course of action that he can do, the only thing he can do, is to sacrifice his only son. So we see Jesus, in John 19, takes up his cross. In Genesis 22, Abraham takes up his wood for the sacrifice. Jesus walks to Golgotha with two criminals. Abraham walks to Moriah with two servants. Jesus surrenders to the will of the Father and separates himself from the Father, even though the pain would have been absolutely unimaginable. Aside from the physical suffering of the cross, the pain of separation from God the Father would have been nothing that we could possibly conceive. 
Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, binds his son, builds up the wood, and raises the knife in preparation to sacrifice his son. From the time that Jesus dies until the resurrection takes place, three days go by. The journey for Abraham from being asked to undertake undertake the task till he gets to the mountain is three days. And through this, you can see the anguish of the father. I'm sure it was etched on Abraham's face as he was walking up that mountain. And at the same time, you see the willing surrender of the son as well, allowing himself to be bound, trusting totally in the father. That is the story of the cross. That is the gospel. That is the truth. That is what God did for each one of us. He was willing to make the terrible choice in order to save each one of us. And his son, Jesus Christ, was willing to hang on that cross to endure the terror of separation from his father and a horrible death, not for him, but for us. That's what they did for each of us. That's the most incredible message in the world. I was speaking on on Genesis 22 a couple of weeks ago and... um, a colleague from work asked me what I had, had been had asked me what I was doing that weekend. Probably regretted it soon after she'd asked because I thought I'd be completely honest. And I said, "Well, I'm actually speaking on the story of Genesis 22." And she said to me, "Oh, what, what, what's that story about?" So I said, "Well, it's it's where you have the father of the Jewish nation who's asked to murder his only son, and then God says no at the, the last moment." She said, "Wow, that's the story." So, but I said, "Do you know the amazing thing about it is?" It, 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 it's, a, it's a shadow of what is to come through the cross at Easter. I said that God loved us so much that he was willing to send his own son to die for us. And I was quite surprised that she said, well, that's the most amazing story in the world, isn't it? That, that, that almost brings me goosebumps, that story. This is, this is an unbeliever. And, and you think, out there, people are going on their days, doing whatever else... There aren't many of us in here today. But isn't that the most amazing story in the world? The fact that God loved us so much? I think the challenge is today is, do we really believe this? Have we committed our lives to Jesus Christ? And, and I guess the challenge as well is if there was nothing else in it for us, other than knowing that God was true, that there was no blessing of eternity, would we still believe it? Would we take on board the message of unconditional love, that God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son, and whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life, John 3.16. For me, that was the passage from scripture that profoundly affected me at the age of 11. I was a choir boy, if you can believe such a thing, and... I wasn't a believer, but I remember singing this, this psalm. Well, it wasn't a psalm, but it was uh, this passage from Scripture. And I, I, I even, I'm not going to sing it to you now. But it really struck me. It was a word from Scripture. And it wasn't long afterwards that I went to another church there where they were, they were preaching the gospel really quite vibrantly. And it was at that point I gave my life to Jesus. And I profoundly remember it. But... That is the challenge of today, isn't it? Are we willing to listen to that voice of the Holy Spirit and be prepared to put aside everything 
for a true relationship with God and trust him as Abraham was willing to do. Let's pray. Father God, as we read the story of Abraham, as we read the story of of the cross, we're humbled and amazed by what you were willing to do. The fact that you were willing to sacrifice your only son for each one of us is something we cannot comprehend. But we are profoundly grateful for the fact that you have given us the gift of grace. To to those of us who, who have no right at all to inherit the kingdom of heaven. And yet, through the sacrifice of your son, we are able to do that. So we give you thanks for the cross. And we pray that we would take it seriously in our lives. And this example of Abraham will be one that would rest on us profoundly. Of having that level of faith to trust you in your promises. Knowing that you have won the ultimate victory. And we can trust in you ultimately. Amen.